Hey everyone, welcome to episode 121 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. This week's guest features a photographer living in Bozeman, Montana, Travis Anderson. I was lucky to meet up with Travis in person in his shop to talk all about, well, shop. (laughs) Travis owns his own print lab called White Creek Art, and he does a knockout job of creating and printing ski posters for resorts all over the country. Travis and I covered a lot of really fun topics this week, including his journey as a landscape photographer and print lab owner, ski photography, panorama photography, a really crazy story about how he started his own printing business, uh, breathing color paper products for Epson printers, um, attachment to our favorite images and how they are so hard to sell, photographing with the intent to sell, authenticity, and being a photographer as a busy family man. And lots more. Over on Patreon, Travis and I shared stories from Yellowstone National Park, and he shares an absolutely insane story about a grizzly bear attack. So check that out. All right, let's get to the show. Travis Anderson, thanks so much for uh, inviting me into your your lab here. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, so we're in uh, Bozeman, Montana, and uh, you own what's uh, White Creek Art. Yeah, White Creek Art. Yeah, um, it's photography and art printing yeah. mostly. Well, a lot of printing. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so we'll we'll definitely dive into that uh, later in the conversation, but maybe. Uh, just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, after that, maybe tell us a little bit how you kind of got into photography. Okay. Uh, well, I grew up in Rapid City, South Dakota and came here to Bozeman to go to MSU just after high school. Right. Mostly because of skiing (laughs) and, uh, school was relatively cheap. Um, and I had a friend here, so that's how I ended up here. Nice. And then, uh, you know, as a business student, really. Um, business management at MSU and then you know I've always just done photography kind of started as a hobby or whatever you know right. like in high school shooting pictures of my friends skiing and whatever we were doing mostly skiing and uh, then when I got here I worked at one of the raft companies up in the canyon for a while doing the summer photos you know of yeah. tourists and that's sort of how I realized I might be able to make money taking pictures Okay. and then I started a thing up at the Yellowstone Club uh, doing basically the same thing on the slopes of Yellowstone Club, just shooting, skiing with, and shooting, you know, their uh, guests. Okay. You know, um, and then selling them, you know, the prints or photos on a CD or whatever. So is that like uh, while people were skiing, like action shots or? Yeah, we did. Yeah, because, and this was back at the very beginning of the Yellowstone Club, so it wasn't very busy. So, like, the traditional, you know, stand in the middle of a run and shoot everybody that skis by you wouldn't have really worked because right. you might stand there for an hour before someone skied by, <laughs> right? So, we actually more kind of treated a little bit more like guiding with cameras. Okay. Um, so, we skied around with people and tried to get action shots, like, of them skiing. You know, of course, we did, you know, the family stuff where they'd get their family together and take a picture with a nice backdrop. But right. really what I was trying to do, because I'm a skier, it was ski, Yeah, you know, up there. And get paid for it. And, yeah, try to make some money. <laughs> and so while I was there, you know, we did okay with that. But there just wasn't that many people on the hill, yeah. you know. So it was a little bit limited. And I started selling, like I would take some landscapes of that area up around Big Sky because it's really pretty, you know. And I started doing like framed panoramas of the views from up there. Mm-hmm. And people would like to buy those sometimes and take them home so they could show people back home, you know, oh, here's where we ski out in Montana or whatever. Right. And so then I started realizing, well, maybe that's really where the money's at, not so much ski action shots of tourists. And, and how long ago was this? So that was in 2001 is when I started up there. Okay. And I did that for four years up there. Yeah. Um, and then, so it sort of... Once I kind of realized that was, you know, A, seasonal, and B, not making me that much money, (laughs) plus I had already skied every inch of the place, so I sort of felt like, 
maybe I need to move back down to Bozeman. And I started working at a gallery downtown. A friend of mine had a gallery. And uh, we bought the first big printer so that we could do some prints for some of the artists at the gallery. You know, fine art reproductions, right? Yeah. So I talked him into getting this printer so I could, A, have access to my own printer, and then, B, also make some prints for other artists and try to make a little more money. Right. You know? And so that's that's sort of how it's all started, really. And how, how expensive a printer are we talking here? Uh, It was like 5000 Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, large format Epson printer. Yeah. Yeah. And we were doing, you know, canvas reproductions for... His dad is Larry Zabel, a Western okay. painter who lived out in Ennis. So that's really how it all started, the printing aspect of it. And so you've been... That's kind of when you transitioned into doing printing for your main source of income? Yeah. I mean, slowly. You know, I was still working there doing his advertising and packing up paintings or you know, just helping hang the gallery or whatever, you know, yeah. basic odd jobs around the gallery. But we had the printer, and so we started doing some printing, and it kind of grew a little bit while we were there. And then, uh, it's kind of a long story, but he, it was a, it had a basement, the gallery. And so one summer we remodeled the basement, and then, so we could show more art. And we moved the printer and everything out of there into this little warehouse space, just not far from here. And uh, that March, after we did that, we only had one party there where we got to show our new basement. And I had my stuff, photography, which wasn't something he normally would sell there. Right. But I, you know, because I was a friend and worked there and everything, I had my own little zone in the basement where I could hang up my photos. But that March, uh, there was a gas leak and the gallery blew up. Oh, my God. Like, literally blew into pieces. And uh, one person died. Our gallery manager was there early. It was like early in the morning. Wow. She, she used to come in before uh, she went to yoga. Wow. Like she'd come in, check her emails, whatever, go to yoga for an hour and then come back. Well, it happened to be that she was there when it happened. Wow. So that was kind of, you know, obviously tragic and yeah, a huge blow both to his business, of course, because it was completely destroyed. And me, because it was my main job. But luckily, the printer and the computer and all of our stuff was at this warehouse. So it wasn't affected necessarily. And uh, so then I helped him. You know, I stayed on as an employee and helped him reopen a new spot downtown. We rented another spot and got that going. But over, you know, the course of the next year or two, I just kind of drifted away from that and started doing my own thing. Yeah. Like he didn't want to pay for the warehouse anymore and, you know, all these things. And I, so I just kind of kept the printer you know bought it from him and by that point i was printing enough and I, it just sort of slowly grew into white creek you know so how did you how did you uh find yourself in the business of printing uh for other photographers and artists um well again it was more it was sort of accidental it was you know you, we have the printer and it's like well it can make money if it's running <laughs> right. you know like the, and I didn't have enough of my own sales or even a decent website or anything at that point. Yeah. So, you know, through the contacts at the gallery, we just kind of threw it out to a few people. And some of the artists were willing to make prints or wanting to. And it just kind of accidentally happened, really. And uh, then I have another friend, Ryan Turner, from up in Big Sky, who started selling prints right around the same time. You know, he has a little gallery up there. and but not a space really for a big printer and a spray right. room and all the things. <laughs> and so he just started using me. And honestly, like between him and this other girl, Rachel, that's in town here, they almost keep me busy a lot of the time. Just really? the two of them. Cause they both are doing well with selling art. That's cool. So it's a big part of my business is just printing for those two people. Yeah. You know, and then obviously myself and, you know, quite a few other random here and there type of thing. You know? Yeah, I was gonna say, do people find you like on Google or? Yeah, yeah, I think that's how. But are they usually and, local? And word of mouth? Are you they know? are they local people? Yeah, mostly local. Okay. Yeah, mostly Bozeman, really. Nice. And Big Sky, but yeah, Rachel lives in Bozeman and Ryan lives in Big Sky, so they're my two main printing clients, really. And then I have a handful of other artists in town, and you know, some of these ladies that come in and they got 
you know, four paintings and they want, one of their friends wants one, but they don't want to sell the original. Uh-huh. So, you know, I'll take a picture of their painting and print it for them. Right. And so I get a little bit of that stuff. And you do all the, the, the photography of the artwork here in this, in this space here? Yeah. Yeah. Is that those soft boxes are? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We just have that little thing. For a little while, I had a guy that was doing the photography and he built that rack where you'd stick the painting in for oh, doing okay. bigger ones. So you could do like a, you know, take two or three shots of a painting and stitch them together. So yeah. you get detail to make a large print, you yeah. know, and hold the detail. So he made that thing and had the lights and stuff. But then he got a real job and moved on. He became a pilot or something. <laughs> so I just bought his stuff off him because yeah. it didn't really make sense to not do it here. Right. You know? Totally. So, yeah, I just bought that equipment and then it just made a lot of sense because then I have the original. I can color match and make a couple proofs, make sure the artist thinks it's close enough. I mean, it's right. never 100% perfect because sure. it's not an original. Sure. But I can get them pretty dang close, you know? Yeah, and you're mostly printing on canvas? Uh, mostly canvas and like fine art paper, like a sort of a watercolor textured fine art paper for the art prints. Yeah, do you have a, Do you have some favorite papers that you like? Um, you know, honestly, mostly I use breathing color, canvas and paper. Um, it seems to work good, and they also make the coating for the canvas that I spray on the canvases. So oh, okay. it all works well together, and yeah. it's easy to order. It get, you know, comes in a couple days, and... Not using B and H or Adorama or something to order, right? You know, it comes <laughs> right. directly from them. Right. So they actually make canvas and paper for Epson. They just make their own under a different name, slightly different formula, probably. Gotcha. But uh-huh. it's basically the same as Epson canvas. Yeah. So I originally, you know, when I first got the printer, I was using all Epson stuff, but now we use breathing color. I still use the real Epson ink because it's archival, and I don't want to mess with the printer. It already has enough issues on its own. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I feel like a lot of photographers, for whatever reason, the whole printing world is like a mystery to so many people. Yeah. I feel like um, a lot of the emails that I get from people listening to the podcast is all about printing. Like, which print lab do you use? Or, like, what papers or what mediums? and, And there's so many options. There is so many options, but I feel like, sometimes I feel like people think a little too much about it because right. i mean yeah you can you know you have your the lumachrome which is a lot of what people are using now the fine the the super high-end like glossy yeah from nevada art printers right and then you have like the you know the what is it uh fuji flux crystal archive which is yeah pretty similar to lumachrome right and then you you know then you have like a billion fine art papers you can choose from like yeah, there's tons. <laughs> but it there might like... be some differences, but to me, you either want smooth or you want textured or you want shiny or <laughs> matte, you know? Right. Which one do you want? And we'll just make a print and I bet you'll like it. Right. Right? You'll better to look pretty good. Like, you don't really have to overthink it too much, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's people that are more anal about it or whatever, but for most people... I f- yeah, I, was gonna, I feel like most customers... If they like the photo or the image or the art piece, I feel like the paper that is printed on stuff like that, they're not, most people can't tell the difference. No, I don't think you could. Like, there might be a handful of super particular people, but I bet you not 99% of the time, you know, as long as you're using decent, you know, obviously you can't go to Staples and buy (laughs) crappy, you know, inkjet paper. Right. But, you know, like, if you're using real paper. Right. And if it has proper resolution and... Yeah, and a good printer, and you know how to adjust the colors and make a good print. Yeah. I mean, a ton of my time is on Photoshop, and especially with the art stuff, trying to match, you know, people's acrylics or oils or whatever it might be, just get those colors, you know, as close as possible. So what what does that look like from the printing side? Um, You mean the time spent in Photoshop? Yeah, or like, what are, what are you actually doing in there? Oh, just like... Really messing with the selective color a lot. Oh, okay. You know, saturation, of course, but just tweaking every little thing. Yeah. You know? Um, like, Rachel Pohl uses really bright acrylic paint. Uh-huh. And so the colors are crazy, you know, real poppy, super saturated, super everything. Yeah. And so to try to get the 
printer to match that takes a little bit of tweaking, you know? Uh Like, you take a photo of the painting, and it looks pretty good, but then you make a print, and you're like, yeah, no, not really close. (laughs) You know? At least you have the original you can compare. But, yeah, when... Yeah, doing it all here makes it easy to make a print, a proof, you know, and then put them together. Right. And say, oh, these yellows are too green or they're too pink or they're too whatever. Right. And then go into Photoshop because you can do anything you can imagine with Photoshop and uh, tweak that color Yeah. to, you know, match. And it's never quite like it looks on the screen either. You really have to get it on the paper that you're going to be using. Sure. And then compare the paper to the painting. Right. Right? Yeah. Like, it's hard, you know. Like, you can send, you know, someone sent me an image on their phone. Oh, can you match this? I'm like, well. Ish. You know, pretty close. But, I mean, comparing <laughs> a paper print to an iPhone is not, they're two completely different things. Right. So One's backlit. You know, yeah. It's crazy, right? So, it's nice to have the original piece and be able to put the paper right next to it. Right. And then you can see if the blues are too warm or too cool or. Yeah. And just make those adjustments in Photoshop. I mean. Yeah. I pretty much taught myself Photoshop by tweaking my own stuff. And, right. You know, when I was at YC doing all the ski pictures, I did all my own printing. And so I was taking tons of pictures and making tons of 8x10s and 5x7s. Right. And so I just learned by tweaking those. And then when we started doing the art stuff through the gallery, uh, again, Larry was using acrylics. And the colors are we- a little bit weird, you know. They're, they're a little different than what you get out of your camera as far as a photo Uh you know so there was a ton of just tweaking mostly in the selective color gotcha where you can take and just make make these reds a little bit more orange yeah just isolate the yellow make it more green more red more whatever yeah and just tweak just tiny tweaks you know until you get what's coming out of the printer to be pretty dang close most of the time yeah yeah I'm curious, how has your background in printing translated into how you edit your own photography? Because I know a lot of photographers think of, you know, the raw file as like a kind of a blank canvas to just, you know, tweak the shit out of. You know? Yeah, right. And But when I look at a lot of your stuff, a lot of it's pretty, uh, it seems pretty natural to what you experienced. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's... Yeah, I'd say. I mean, I think my... I tries to go more towards realism, I guess. Yeah. Trying to keep the colors what it really looked like. Maybe you pump it up a little bit. Sure. You know, make your greens nice and green and blue skies nice and blue, but... Right. But not magenta. But not... Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I guess it's just me. I, like, I'm not... I, I don't tend to, like, make my photos look really crazy. Right. I mean, I like it when people do it if they're good at it and I think it looks cool, but... Sure. I've always just leaned more towards trying to make it look how it really looks. Right. And maybe that comes a little bit from, you know, most of my pictures are right around here in Montana. And it's already pretty enough. You don't have to fake it. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're shooting something that's flat and boring and trying to make it look cool. Right. It looks awesome, especially if you're out, you know, early or late in the golden hours. Sure. Sunsets, whatever. Although sometimes it's hard to match the colors of... Some of the light, you know, like on the peaks. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, like, photos never quite capture what you see with your own eyes. Totally. You know? I mean, you try to, as best you can, maybe, but... Yeah. It's never quite as impressive as standing on the top of a peak at sunrise or sunset or... Totally. Right? Like, it's never quite the same. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we try, I guess, as photographers to make it seem as cool as it was the night we were there or whatever it's interesting like some people some people do that and i feel like some people that's not really the important piece to them it's how can i make this um match my personal artistic flavor yeah you know what i mean yeah and so you know you have a lot of people that are tweaking you know like different colors or adding like or compositing yeah Lots of stuff in a different I think all the Lightroom stuff really help people take that step too, don't you? For sure, yeah. Like all the sliders and adjustments that are right there in Lightroom, easy to mess with. You just start messing with them and you're like, oh, well, look at what this could be like. Right. It doesn't have to be real at all, right? Right. And it's easy to move the sliders and... I know that's how I started. Pretty soon you just stumble onto like, oh, I like that. Yeah. When I first got into it and I 
use Lightroom for the first time, I remember thinking the exact that exact thing, like, oh my gosh, I can make everything look cool. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like, just totally tweak it. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. You know? I think my experience has just been more, especially with the artists, you know, they want the prints to look exactly like the original. Totally. As close as possible. Right. Which is never 100% doable, because it's two totally different things, but you can get them pretty dang close. Sure. And I think when I was working at the gallery, that was our goal, you know, because these artists were pretty established, and they were going to make prints, they wanted them to be damn close to the paintings. Yeah. So... I think I just learned how to use those same sliders and stuff, but not to make them look wacky, to make them look as real exactly yeah. how the paintings looked. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's just my brain. Yeah. You know? Well, I've noticed um, a lot of your uh, photography, obviously, is like from your skiing trips and your experiences yeah. skiing. And I think that's kind of cool because most of my photography is from mountain climbing trips okay, which is yeah. pretty similar yeah um but i'm curious uh like do you have some favorite images that are um from from some of your favorite ski trips that maybe for whatever reason for you personally like maybe it's not the best picture in the world but because of because it was taken on a certain adventure or trip yeah that it means more to you i think so yeah a lot of the ski stuff I think that's a challenge maybe for, you know, ski photography especially, but I would imagine climbing or biking or any adventure sport, right, where you remember it because of the trip or the day or the people you were with. And so it means something to you, right? Like right. it's sentimental. Yeah, it has emotional But then when you're trying to maybe, you know, pick a shot like that for a magazine or, you know, a brochure or something, you're like, but this is really sick, you know? And <laughs> people are like, yeah, but it's not what we're looking for. And you're like, well... Screw you then, you know, <laughs> right? Totally. Like, I'm telling you right now, this is the best picture all winter. That's right. You're not going to get a better photo. But maybe you're just <laughs> sentimentally attached to it on some level, too. For sure. Right? I feel like I have that problem because, you know, a lot of my favorite shots are, you know, sunrise or sunset from a high mountain in Colorado. And, you know, the colors at that time of day on top of a mountain, you know, it can get it can look pretty like ominous and yeah. like Mordor almost like you know right. like very vibrant reds and, and yeah crazy colors that that most people have never seen most before. Most people don't even right? get up that early and especially not being right. on top of a peak, right? So they've never even seen stuff. That, so they're like, "Oh, you Photoshop this?" Right. That's an annoying thing. It is when people say that. But it's hard to <laughs> uh, it's hard to get other people excited about it because they're like, "Well, that just looks like Mordor to me," and like that I don't want picture of mordor right in my house you know right yeah <laughs> do you sell very many sunsets or sunrise shots because uh, i find they're hard to sell i yeah i would say not the majority no most of my best-selling photos are like wildflower and mountains yeah or um or night sky stuff i do a lot of night sky oh, photography yeah. but right. yeah good call like some of my favorite photos, I don't think I've ever sold any of. Yeah, I agree. Like, <laughs> I mean, we get amazing sunsets here almost every night. Even last night, I don't know if you saw, there was like a crazy rainbow. Oh, I didn't. Rainstorm <laughs> thing happening to the south. Awesome. It was crazy. I and mean, of course, I didn't have a camera, or, you know. Sure. I was downtown, so there was buildings in the way and whatnot. Right. But I'm like, dang, it'd be a nice night to be in a good spot. Because right. that's really crazy like you just don't see stuff like that yeah but again like i said we get sunsets here all the time they're epic and i've taken pictures of them and had them at the art shows and stuff never really sold one Mm -hmm. like to me it's awesome to see all those crazy colors you know purples blues reds pinks but that's not necessarily what people want in their house i guess yeah apparently you know because most of the ones that i sell the most of are just you know, your average blue sky day, maybe there's some nice puffy white clouds that are almost cartoonish. Right. And you have, you know, an old truck or something in the foreground with some mountains. Right. People eat that shit up. <laughs> right? But you come up with some wild thing you saw with a crazy sunset or whatever, and they're like, oh, that's really awesome. But I'm going to take the old truck, thanks. I know. And you're like, oh. 
I can't sell this thing to save my life, you know? It's so hard. It almost got to the point where I don't even take pictures of it anymore. I, I know. just enjoy a sunset for what it is because, right. I don't know, what's the point of having 10,000 sunset pictures? Although know? I will say, like, from a editing, like, photo editing, like, they're more fun to edit. I think they're awesome. I think they're cool. You know? Like, I, I like the bright, crazy colors and, I don't know, I just found that it's hard to sell them. It is. Yeah. So that's just the difference of taking a picture because you like it. Or are you taking a picture because you're trying to sell it later? Right. Which I think is, you know, probably a topic, you know, discussed often in all art. It right? is. You I make mean, a painting because you want to paint a guy on a fence? Or do you right. think people are going to buy a guy on a fence? Yeah. I don't know. Have you ever gone out um, with camera in hand with the intention of taking a photo that you knew you could sell? Oh, for sure. Yeah. But... Uh, what was your experience like? Because what I found is when I, if I go out with my camera and I have no, I guess, motives, yeah, you know, like I'm not, oh, I have to get this specific shot or else this is a waste of my time. Right. Like I've, I found that it's just not as fun. Yeah. You know, and it kind of stifles your creativity Yeah, because you just sort of feel that weird pressure to yeah. shoot something sort of commercial or whatever. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I don't do a lot of like, I guess what you call stock photography. Sure. You know, I get requests for it all the time. Oh, do you got a fly fisherman in the Madison? I'm like, not really. Yeah. Like, because <laughs> I, I, you know, haven't been hired to go to take that picture. I could take that picture. Right. You know, get a fisherman dressed up in all their Sims gear and put them out there in the river. Right. Right. But it's not something I just think, oh, you know what, today I'm going to go out to the Madison and hopefully there'll be a fisherman standing there and I'll take a picture of him. Right. Because it's not the same, right? Like, it's not really... Yeah. Well, and then you have to get a model release, too. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying, though, right? Like, if you really want, as a photographer, to have fly fishing pictures that you're going to sell later for brochures, you have to, like, have a guy dressed properly. Right. You got... You get, Ideally, he's got to be catching a fish. And they have to, like, listen to your And the fisherman commands. has to be there for the purpose of getting photos, not for catching fish necessarily. Right. Because, you know, the background, the light, the angles, whatever. Right. You're like, hey, you tur- be... turn to your left. Yeah. 45 degrees. Right. <laughs> and the fisherman's like, no, I'm fishing here. <laughs> right. I can't look that way. Right? <laughs> right. So it's two totally different things, just going out and fishing and then trying to get a sellable fly fishing shot it's two totally different ball games you have to right. almost hire a guy to pretend to be a fisherman right and that's what every time i see those photos like that i so always in, i don't know maybe i'm just uh jaded or something but i always have this thought that goes through my head like that's just not authentic you know like right, that wasn't a real experience because it's staged right right yeah i just hate that staged right photo feeling i just there's something I don't know. I guess as a photographer, I see right through it, you know, because I'm totally. like, that's not a that wasn't a real thing. Like you set that entire thing up, right? And I guess for me, like the magic of photography, for me, is like you're you're as the photographer, as the artist, you're reacting to the world around you, you're, what you can see, and you're and you're you're changing what you're doing to interpret your vision of what you can see that's already actually happening right whereas when it's like this staged thing like that's all contrived and it's all yeah. done by design and almost never looks real or authentic i agree and i think like going back to the ski photo stuff you know there's some guys that have made a ton of money selling ski photos to magazines but to me they all look fake right almost all of them you know the fill flash and right. it's just not what it looks like right for real. If you're just standing there and your buddy skis by, he doesn't have a bright light on his <laughs> face if right. the sun is behind him. Right. right? So And he's not know. probably he probably doesn't have the same expression on his face. And... Yeah, I mean, you know, most of those shots you see are pretty girls smiling, you know, giant right. smile and their clothes all match perfectly and they <laughs> you know, they don't have any duct tape on their jacket or any bullshit, right? Because right. they're in brand new stuff. Right. It's just all kind of fake. Right. Which is sort of why I've never really gone that path, because it just feels like I ski because I want to ski, and I take pictures of my friends, and yeah, we set it up a little bit. Sure. But I don't tell them to smile or 
you know, I don't bring a big flash kit and have a Sherpa that's with me that's carrying all my crap, you know? Right. Like, we just go skiing. I try to keep my pack super light and my camera accessible. And when something's happening that we think looks cool, we'll take some pictures of it. Yeah, I've, I've always been I've always been afraid to bring my camera. I'm a snowboarder, and I've always been afraid to bring it with me on snowboarding trips. Just, I don't know, I'm like afraid I'm going to break it. Yeah, but it will happen every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> but mostly, you know, I use one of those chest packs, and I put it on my backpack, so the weight's on my backpack, not around my neck or whatever. Uh-huh. So I can whip my camera out really fast and take a shot and put it back in and keep skiing where... Because, you know, unless you're literally hiring people, you know, for, you know, specifically for a photo shoot, you're just skiing with your bros. They're not going to wait too long. Right. You know, they might wait a little bit, (laughs) but you got to be quick. You got to get out. You tell them kind of where to go. They ski by. You maybe get a shot. Maybe you don't. And then you got to be behind them when they get to the lift. If you're not there, they're not going to wait. Right. They're gone. Yeah. They're not there to be your your model. They're there to have fun. Yeah. We're not necessarily... You know, hired by the resort or whatever. Right. Making money where you're paying them 200 bucks a day to ski with you. They're just bros that are skiing and you're like, hey, you want to get some shots? Sure. Yeah. But you got uh, to be quick and fun and keep it light. Or otherwise, you know, guys are like, yeah, no, I'm I'm good. See ya. Have you found, (laughs) uh, have you found there to be a market for that, for those kind of shots? A little bit. I mean, it's a tough way to make a living. Like I started shooting skiing for fun and yeah but then i ended up having tons of shots and it was like oh man you should be sending these to powder magazine blah 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 and i'm like well i guess i could and then i got a couple in there and then that kind of makes you go oh that's fun you know to see your picture in powder but it's tough man because there's so many guys out there shooting skiing and submitting to those magazines that you might think you had the best shot all season but it doesn't make it in the magazine it's discouraging Right, mm-hmm. and it's certainly not going to pay your bills. Right, you know they don't pay that well. Right, like what, hundred bucks or something. You know, ski magazines. Yeah, you might get a couple hundred bucks, maybe. Right. I don't know. I've never had a cover, but maybe five hundred or a thousand for a cover. Right. But those are almost impossible to get. Right. You You'd know? have to do one like every week, every month. Yeah, to yeah to pay your bills. Right, yeah. to pay some of your bills. Yeah, it's no way to pay your bills. And when <laughs> I was you know younger and single, it was different, right? I didn't right. need quite so much money, and maybe you know, yeah, trying to get a shot like that might have seemed worth it. Yeah, just for the bragging rights of being right. in the mags or whatever. Right, you got other you know, things to worry about. I mean, I've done <laughs> okay selling shots like to Bridger Bowl for their marketing stuff, you know, posters or trail map covers or whatever you can make a little bit of money doing that but again it's so hit or miss and it's just once a year when they're redoing their stuff right they might buy a couple photos and it's not like they're going to be doing that monthly right you know right mortgage bills come every month <laughs> you know what i mean like, yeah totally it's just not i don't know some guys have made a living up doing it for sure but yeah they're probably I living I in a van yeah maybe not, not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if I was like 22 years old again, uh, yeah, I'd probably do that for a minute. Again, if I Why wasn't not? married with a kid and a right. mortgage and this place and all these things, I'd live in a van all winter and <laughs> take ski pictures. It'd be awesome. Right. But it's just not very realistic. Right. You know, which is what has led me down the path of praying for other people and, yeah, you know, our poster line and it's just stuff that actually makes some money. You yeah. Know, you got to have that... Unfortunately, you got to have the money right. coming in at all times, right? I wish we could just live and take pictures and trade pictures for everything you did. And Some people can pull it off doesn't somehow. doesn't really happen. It's not me. <laughs> I haven't figured it out. <laughs> I think it's hard. Yeah. Um, so you do a lot of um, ski posters, and I was kind of curious, uh, kind of what does that look like, and how do, how do you market them and sell them and what like what do they actually look like um well the ones that we are doing best with are what i like to call vintage style or retro ski posters you know that look like the old travel posters um and they're not it's not photography right it's art like a painting yeah they're yeah they're mostly painting um but they start as photos almost all of them start from a photo 
Okay. You know, either of an old skier. You know, I, like I use some old historic photos out of books or, you know. Yeah. But uh, what I've tried to do, which I feel like is different than what a lot of other places are doing, is each one of ours is the scene is specific to that ski area. Mm-hmm. Right? So like our Jackson Hole poster, I don't have a picture of the Matterhorn and then put Jackson Hole on the bottom of it. <laughs> right. Right? Like it's actually the Tetons. And it's the real tram from Jackson. And then, you know, we paint it. Like, we kind of create the scene in Photoshop, usually. And then paint it. And then photograph the painting. So, do you, are you doing the painting? Um, I haven't actually done any of the paintings. Uh, there was a guy that I used in the beginning that was just a sort of older dude that was hobbyist painter. He wasn't even selling paintings or anything. He just painted for something to do. Yeah. And uh, happened to know him, and he was a skier and a fly fisherman. So he was into doing ski paintings for me. You know, I'd give him a little bit of money, and he'd make a painting, and then I'd photograph that painting and add the text and tweak it and kind of give it that retro look. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he died a few years ago, and so then I had yeah. to branch out and find other people. Currently, my wife is doing some of our paintings. Oh, cool. She took art in college, and she's not an artist either that's selling paintings or anything, but... She understands the concept of what I'm trying to do with these vintage posters and can paint in that style. Yeah. You know, scenes like, say, for instance, our latest one, we went to Telluride for spring break a couple of years ago, and uh, I took some pictures of the scenery around there, and then you can find other ones online to look at and you know, when it's better snow or this or that. Sure. But uh, she made the painting, and then I do the graphic design parts and sales parts. Mostly we sell them right at the gift shops at the ski areas. And how do you how do you get in with those with those shops? Um, usually I try to go there and meet the people in person. Uh-huh. Um, with I, the poster in hand? Well, <laughs> sometimes it's before we actually have the design just to see if they might be interested. Gotcha. But sometimes, and most of the time, really, you have to make the design because people can't visualize what you're even talking about. Right. Yeah. Or you could show them, like, another one you did. Yeah, you could show them, you know, show them the Bridger one. But in Jackson, they need to see Jackson, you know, right. or Snowbird or Alta or whatever. So they kind of get it. But you really have to do the design and then present it to them with the pricing and everything else. Because most of these gals are just retail buyers. They're not artists or photographers or, you know. Right, they're like, a, can I sell this in my gift shop? Yeah, shirt? not a ton of imagination there. So you really have to have the product. What's the price point? What do you sell them for? How many are you selling in Jackson? Oh, that many. Okay, well, we'll well, yeah, we'll try them. You know, and it's sometimes a battle to talk these ladies into trying it. And is know? it basically like a wholesale deal, like where you're printing them here in your print lab, and then yeah. shipping them? Like they're ordering them like in bundles of a hundred or. 500? Yeah, ideally they order 50 or 100 at a time or 200, uh-huh. you know, if you got a busy shop. And, and they're paying up front for all that. But, yeah, they'll pay ahead of time. And yeah, a wholesale that, price. Like knowing ha- that they're going to you know. sell it at maybe twice as much or whatever. Yeah, ha- yeah, almost always half of what the retail is. Yeah. Maybe even a little bit. Like, I'll sell them for 15 and they'll sell them for 32. Right. You know, that seems to be kind of the numbers right now. Yeah. You know, 30, 32. They like to get that little extra couple bucks, you know. <laughs> but uh, in theory, most retail places are fifty, you know, fifty percent, right? Right. Wholesale is fifty percent of retail. And what are you? What are you printing them on? Um, they're on like a a cover weight, eighty pound textured art paper. But it's a little bit thicker. Yeah, it's so typically they're, they're like rolled nice. in a tube or something. Yeah, or? and then we put them in the cardboard shipping tubes. Okay. Which I think is key. For selling posters at gift shops, because 90% of it is probably tourists. Yeah. And they got to get it home. Right. Safely. So if they see a you know a poster rolled up with a rubber band on it, they're like, that is never going to survive my kids in the Suburban for the next three days. There's just no <laughs> way, right? Right. But if you give it to them in a shipping tube, it right. will survive, you know? And you're providing those shipping tubes? Yeah, I roll all the posters and put them in tubes. Okay. And then sell them that way in boxes. Gotcha. The tubes come in boxes of 50, so... So you just send them the box. I try to sell them boxes of 50 if I can. <laughs> you know, some people only want 25 or whatever, but 
I try to get them in batches of 50 because it just makes sense. Uh-huh. Order the tubes in, roll them, stuff yeah. them back in the same box, ship it out. It works pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. So that's the, the business model of it, kind of. Yeah. You know? And would you um, say that, that um, the ski posters, is that a pretty big percentage of your kind of business? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we've grown it now to several ski areas, so it's doing pretty good. And I'm always trying to, you know, figure out the next one. Yeah. Um, part of the theory was in the beginning that I would just get to go on ski trips, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's smart. Figure out the scene for each place by skiing around and then maybe stop in the gift shops and scope it out and get the business card for the person I need to talk to and then come back, make the design, get back in touch with them. Sometimes I've had to go back again in person because you just can't get people to answer an email or a phone call. But man, if you walk in and start talking to people, they can't blow you off. Right. <laughs> right? So yeah. here's my poster. What do you think? Right. Well, we don't really sell posters. Right. But you've never had posters like this. Right. And next door at Alta, they're selling 200 a season. So why wouldn't you sell them at Snowbird? And then they just kind of look at you like, oh, yeah, well, I got nothing Okay, I'll try it. You know, and you're like, yes, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, but it's not always easy, man. Some people just don't get it. It's frustrating because I have a couple of designs that have been frustrating where I feel like the design's awesome. The shop makes sense. It's by the parking lot or by the lift or, you know, it's the shop to be in. And the gal running the place just, no, we don't sell posters. Don't want them. Sorry. And you're just like, oh, you got to be kidding me right now, you know? Hey, you're going to make at least a few hundred dollars off of this yeah i mean you'll double your money i mean they're marking it up double so they spend a thousand they're gonna make two thousand i don't i mean there's not a lot of and it's not like posters go bad no no we don't put dates on them or anything so and i feel like the you know the designs are time kind of timeless right sure or they're retro like the jackson one says you know aerial tram coming november 1965 so it's supposed to be a throwback, like it was the original poster that's from really 1965. Cool. So, to me, that's good forever. Like, it's always going to be like a little slice of Jackson history almost, right? Yeah. And that's our best seller, mostly because there's a ton of people that ski at Jackson. Yeah. And the shop, they have, you know, they have good locations. The resort owns a really nice shop at the base of the hill and a nice shop downtown on the square where all the tourists go to buy their Jackson t-shirt or whatever. So we're right in there. The girls that are running those shops get it. They sell them. They promote them. That's eat, cool. They order them. They never run out. You know, if they start getting low, they reorder. I mean, that's your ideal yeah. scenario. You know? And are you ever, have you ever been able to sell your actual photography in the same way? Well, you know, I've, I've sold some photo posters uh-huh. at Bridger. Because I ski Bridger mostly, and yeah. I have the material. But they don't sell as well as the retro ones. Yeah. You know, they just don't. I mean, I've sold some. Sure. And, you know, like, honestly, the the photo poster that I still sell and does the best is just a panorama of the mountain, because the mountain lends itself to panorama. Yeah. And nice blue sky day, nothing crazy, <laughs> you know? Right. And it sells. I mean, not yeah, because people are like, "Oh, I've skied that run." Yeah, because you can see run. the runs and the chairs, and yeah, you know, remember your day or whatever. Yeah, so it does okay. Yeah, pretty good. But the retro ones crush the photo ones. <laughs> I mean, whether that's fortunate or unfortunate, because the photo ones are a lot easier for me to do. Sure. You know, but they don't sell as well. So right. I mean, that's really how, again, how it all, I feel like my whole business and life has sort of accidentally happened, <laughs> you know? Like, other than coming to Bozeman to ski right. and go to college, everything after that decision has just, you know, for better or worse, happened accidentally, you know? Yeah. Having the gallery blow up and force me to really figure out what to do next. Right. You know, I certainly wouldn't have chosen that path, <laughs> right. but that's what happened, and so... I had to figure it out, and then, you know, to be totally honest, like, <laughs> having a kid, I wasn't necessarily ready or planning that. It sure. happened. Yeah. It really forced me to step up my game, and, you know. It, it'll do that. Grow up, you yeah. know what I mean? My wife still thinks I haven't really grown up, <laughs> <laughs> which... Eh, that's good, though. That's her opinion, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, 
there's nothing like a wife and a kid to put the pressure on an entrepreneur to make it happen, right? No doubt. Because I just don't want to work bartending or doing all those other things you do in a ski town. Right. I'm over that crap, so... Would you consider Bozeman a ski town? Uh, you know, less and less Okay. as time goes on. But it's certain, you know, it certainly has its ski town aspects. Yeah. I mean, it's growing like a freaking weed, so... <laughs> you know, there's people coming from every state in the union at this point because yeah. it's a cool town. Right. So it's feeling less like a ski town all the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, me and my friends are ski bums still, and we're still, most of us still here. Some yeah. Some leave. Sure. Most come back. <laughs> They're like, wow, what the hell was I thinking? Seattle sucks. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I'm going back to Bozeman. Yeah. You know, and some guys have moved on to smaller towns around the state or maybe Utah or Colorado or something. But most people, once they come here, they stay here, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy. It's an expensive place. Yeah, but, it seems like it's about know, as expensive as where I live. I mean, it's becoming very yuppie-ish, I feel like. Uh-huh. The university's growing yeah. like crazy. I mean, it's twice the size that it was when I was in school in right. the 90s, you yeah. know? So in 30 years, it's almost doubled right. the university size and yeah. town too, you know? I mean, subdivisions everywhere and it's expensive to live here. It's not it's not all peaches and cream. But Yeah, what kind of other industries are in Bozeman? You know, there's a lot of like tech business. Oh, okay. You know, Bozeman has been smart in getting high-speed internet service all over town and uh-huh. especially to the business zones, you know, yeah, which are kind of by the university and... You know, there's a lot of research and stuff that happens at the university. The university is the biggest employer in town, I'm pretty sure. Um, there's not a lot of industry. You know, the, the building industry is feeding off itself, mm-hmm. like all the growth. I mean, there, you can see cranes and totally. crap all over town now. Yeah. You know, hotels and big buildings going in that we didn't have when I moved here. There was no, none of that happening. Right. You didn't see a crane like that ever. <laughs> and now there's like five of them downtown. Right. Like it's insane. You know? Yeah. So I think the building industry is sort of feeding on itself. Sure. And then you got Big Sky, who, you know, the resort in the town, it's not even a real town, but that area has promoted itself since the 70s. And it's finally you know, on par with, you know, some of the bigger skiers in Colorado or whatever. And people are coming here because it's not as busy as Colorado. Yeah. And it's every bit as pretty and we get decent snow. I was going to say like, and you probably have more consistent snowpack. Yeah. And so, (laughs) you know, Big Sky's growing like a weed also. Yeah. And then the Yellowstone Club and all that money came in, which has totally boosted the economy of Bozeman. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean... Bozeman would be hurting without Big Sky yeah. financially, I think. Or there would just be a lot less happening here, you know, less yeah. people coming here. Because tons of people work up there in construction, retail, whatever. Right. But they live down here because there's not a lot of housing up there. Right, right. You know, that makes sense. Similar to Colorado, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like Telluride. Yeah. Like, a lot of people live in like Montrose or right or Aspen. They live down Valley and yeah, and or the Salt and yeah, all that. Yeah, real similar, you know. Sure. And what I think you know, one advantage that Bozeman presents to is we have a good airport. It's super accessible. You know, flights from all over now. You fly directly from Atlanta, San Francisco, Dallas, right? As well as you know, obviously Seattle and Salt Lake, Denver. Yeah. But so it's easy to get here, really, right. for how remote it is, uh-huh. you know? And then it's an easy drive to Big Sky from the airport. It's only 45 minutes. Right. Maybe an hour, depending what part of Big Sky you're getting to, but right. it's not hard. Yeah. You know? It's no I-70 traffic jam. Yeah. God. <laughs> not yet. I don't know how people do that. I mean, it's, that. you know, they're going to have to build some better roads. Like, if I was a hardcore skier or snowboarder and I lived in Denver... I would hate my life. It would be terrible. Dr- I mean, I-70 is a disaster. It is a disaster. Like... I got caught there one morning thinking I was leaving town early. Oh, yeah. Eh, I was sitting on that road for an hour or two just trying to get up like to not the, moving. the summit. Yeah, barely. <laughs> like five miles per hour on a freeway. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's insane. I can't imagine doing it every weekend. I mean, we're super spoiled here in that way. Yeah, I have to, in Durango, there's a small little resort called Purgatory... I think it's got like five lifts or something. I mean, it's it's fine. Yeah. 
and you know it's about 35 minute drive from town yeah and, easy yeah it's and there's almost never lift lines except for like spring break right when people are driving up from arizona yeah but otherwise it's pretty yeah it's pretty it's easy. far enough away from denver oh yeah no one <laughs> i wouldn't say no i mean some people come up from like albuquerque and stuff sure. like that but yeah 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 like it's nice down that way yeah yeah so one of the other things I noticed is that you do a lot of uh, panoramas. Yeah. So how did you get into that? Um, again, it wasn't necessarily on purpose other than <laughs> the bridgers are sort of panoramic, uh-huh. right? It's a long, skinny mountain range, and the view from the valley is that. Yeah. So I just started taking pictures of the bridgers because I thought... Well, one, I'm pretty in love with the Bridgers, just in general, <laughs> you know, but being a skier and sure. we hike and mountain bike and do everything else up there. Yeah. But it's just the panoramic format just seems to lend itself to those particular mountains. Right. And so, you know, there was a time, this is again before I had a kid and a wife, I would just drive around the valley looking for cool spots and different angles and, you know different seasons like it started getting to the point you know i got one good pano of the ridgers and it sure. was selling and i'm like okay so people like this so how about i get a fall one and a spring one and a winter one and right like i just tried to branch out and have all the different you know different spots because there's definitely different areas where you get a you know better view a different view better view right uh-huh. there's the east side and the west side you know the west side's where the valley is and what everyone sees and relates to but the east side is where you ski and most of the trails and it's just a different, the mountains look a little more rugged on the east side, I'd say, and they hold more snow. Uh-huh. Um, so I was just trying to find different yeah, different ways to see the ridgers. It's really you, how I started with all the panoramas. Have you uh, noticed that some of your favorite vantages, have other people been trying to like like copy them or... Or they become... Yeah, maybe. I mean, one thing that's happened, like, since I really started shooting those, I like, like there's a couple, like, with an old barn. The barn has now been turned into a house. Oh, uh-huh. And so it just doesn't have that charm anymore. So I'm glad that I spent that time, you know, 10, 20 years ago, looking for all these old barns and different things, because now, with all the building and things going on, you, doesn't look the you same. can't get that shot anymore. Yeah. I mean, that barn literally doesn't look like that anymore. Right. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. Right? And there is another guy in town that shoots a lot of panoramas. His business is Montana Panoramic. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I don't think he's copying me necessarily. But he, you know, we're, you know, friendly rivals, I would say, because we're kind of trying to do the same thing a lot. Yeah. Um. <laughs> You know, he's got stuff downtown and some of the shops and whatever, and people get us mixed up sometimes or, you know, like, no, that's Craig's shot, not mine. But, you know, whatever. I'm Like, I've kind of moved on a little bit yeah. in some ways, like with the posters and different things. Right, you're focusing like, more on Part of it was I just sort of got bored of shooting the Bridgers, and I'll go out and shoot, you know, the Spanish Peaks or other places, but... Again, with the kid and wife and everything, or hard. he's playing competitive soccer, we're all over the place. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't shoot hardly at all anymore. Yeah. You know, like, every now and then I'll get a wild hair and be like, you know what, I'm getting up early and going to take some photos. Right. Like, if I think the weather's going to be good or whatever. Right. But part of it was, I felt like I got all the angles. Like, I've got it already. Right. There's no need to go reshoot it, necessarily. Yeah, it's funny. Um, when I lived in Colorado Springs... Um, there was a guy living there at the same time as me. Um, he still lives there, but uh, same kind of thing. Like we would get a lot of the similar shots, but like he would keep going back to the same spots like every day. Oh, for really? like weeks at a time. Just trying to get different lights, or I guess. <laughs> I mean, after I'm a like, while, hey, don't like, you feel like you nailed it. Like, okay, nailed it. Yeah, Tree, you know, fall trees were yellow, sky was nice. Done. I don't have to go to that spot anymore. Yeah, it's funny though because I'm. Some photographers, I feel like, are like that. Like, that's how I feel, for yeah. the most part. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some some spots in the San Juans in Colorado where I'd, I'd go back every day, all day, any day. But right. when it comes to, like, you know, somewhere you can just drive to and get out of your car and take yeah. some take a pano, like, right. I think it, once you get, a, get it in good light or whatever, it's, I'm, I'm good. 
Yeah, kind of. I mean, that's sort of how I feel about it. Yeah. There's certain ones where I'd like to redo it. Like, there's this one old truck that I would like to get in winter or whatever. Sure. <laughs> but it's hard to motivate to go do it. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, if it's... Especially in the winter. You know, if it snows <laughs> and it's blue sky, I want to go to Bridger and go skiing. <laughs> right. I need to drive around the country looking for an old truck. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, man. <laughs> yeah. But it would probably make sense to do it sometimes. Yeah. Or, you know, like right now, man, the flowers are popping in the mountains. Yeah, it looks... Should be up there taking pictures of flowers probably, but... It looks good, you know? I think. I mean, I was just up there. Like, the lupins are pretty nice. Yeah. And the sunflowers. Like, it's a nice, like, purple and yellow. Yeah, for sure. I didn't get any of it, but... Um, yeah. I mean, it's happening right now all around Montana, I'm sure. Probably Colorado, too. But I've been, you know, riding my bike a little bit, and I'm like, dang, these flowers are banging! But I don't have my camera. Right. And it's not necessarily morning light or what, you know, middle of the day, whatever. Totally. End of the day when it's shadowy and not really good. Yeah. But man, the flowers are banging. Yeah, they look... Like a smart photographer would be out shooting photos of the flowers right now. Yeah, that's not not us, apparently. (laughs) Apparently We're sitting in a warehouse. I'm in my office. (laughs) 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 Trying to get work done and figure out how to make money. Yeah. But it's on my mind, like... Again, it's, you know, soccer schedule and all these things. I feel like I just never get out to shoot anymore. I think that's hard. I mean, so you said you have a 13-year-old? Yeah, almost 13. And I have a... My son's 11 and a half. Yeah. So um, I feel like the older they get into that, like, preteen and teen, I, I don't know about you, but I've found it really hard to find time to actually get up and take photos. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah, because A, you maybe are tired yeah. just from dealing with family life or whatever. Yeah. And then B, it's like, well, you know, Mikey has to be to practice or right. Mikey's going here this weekend and you got to take him or this right. or that. Or I'm like, oh, I wish I could or, go to the mountains and take yeah. pictures of wildflowers, but instead I'm driving to the soccer tournament. Exactly. Or you're going camping with friends and yeah. maybe you can sneak away to try to, you know. Take a couple But usually it's there. right at dinner time, right? Like you're camping. Right. The photo time is... Dinner time. I know. Campfire time, which is why you go camping. Right. To hang out with your friends and cook and be by the fire. I know. So you you can't just be like, well, you guys have fun. I'm going to be gone for four hours. Right. Because I got to go over here and find something to take a picture of. Yeah. Just doesn't happen. I know. You know? It's hard. I mean, every now and then you're stumbling along and you're like, oh man, it's really pretty right here. Hey, everybody stop for a second. Right. But that's rare. You know how it is. Like, yeah. Like, it's hard to even bring my kid with me when I want to go out and shoot photos. I know. Because he's standing there They're like, so Dad, bored. let's go. Dad, yeah. Dad. And you're like, God damn it. You know, like I'm waiting for the cloud to get off from in front of the sun. Right. So there's sun on the lake. It's going to take about 20 minutes, looks They're like. like, no way. And then the clouds get bigger and you're like, well, maybe it'll be an hour. Or maybe not at all. Or maybe it's not even going to happen. But we're <laughs> going to stand here and wait. And you're going to love it. Because <laughs> if it does, <laughs> we'll get the shot. And if it doesn't, well, too bad. Mm-hmm. But you know how it is. It doesn't work. No. It's hard. It's just, Although that's even, what I like about it. Even taking an adult. Are you done yet? Oh, you got it, right? And you're like, no, I didn't get it. Like, you, just, just chill. <laughs> like, I'm going to walk down there a few hundred yards because I think it might be better. Yeah. You know how it is. Totally. That's been... It's pain in the ass. Like, <laughs> uh, last couple of nights I did that um, kind of up... Near Yellow, in Yellow, near Yellowstone. Right. My wife and I were car camping like way up on this road where no, no other people were around. And yeah, she's like, well, did you get the shot? I'm like, well, I don't know. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's like, but then you feel, I don't know about you, but I feel bad like when you're out with other people. It's like, that's why I like going out with other photographers because you're all like obsessed with the same thing. And, Geek out on the yeah, same shit. Yeah, and you're not like pressuring <laughs> each other to, Move along or... No, or right. Or... Yeah. Yeah, people that don't do it don't get it. Totally. And it's not... I, f- I feel like that's why it's hard to sell photography, honestly, because everybody has an iPhone now or a little digital camera, and they're like, oh, why would I buy your photo? I'll just go up there and shoot the same thing You have my own photo. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but it's not as easy as you think. Yeah. I'll I mean, it can good be. Good luck. I mean, it can be, but you know what I mean. If you get a special shot... A good spot where there's, you know, what you're shooting. Well, especially if it's, you know. Looks good. And blue then the hour, weather's golden good. Hour. And maybe there was some neat clouds or maybe a elk walked through the scene and you're like, holy shit, this elk's going to walk like right where I was going to take this picture anyway. 
Yeah. Nobody <laughs> move. You know, like I wish that happened. That never happens I mean, to me. It, it's rare, but you know what I'm saying. Like people think they can just drive out and jump out of their car, snap that shot, jump back in their car, and keep driving. It's, there's more to it than that. Yeah. And well, then, and then there's the whole. You know, did you have a good camera? Was it sharp? Right. Are you actually going to print it? Is it a large file? Can you actually make a nice big print like this with your file? Doubt it. Probably not. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Probably yeah. not. Although I've seen some... I mean, sometimes it happens. Some pretty big enlargements I mean, from an iPhone I've, shot. I've actually printed some iPhone shots that look pretty damn good. I was like, it's kind of scary. But, you know, people are just out hiking through whatever, and they find flowers, and they take a nice shot on their phone, and they bring it. And I'm like, yeah, I can print that. How big? Yeah, three feet, sure. Yeah. It'll work. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, it'll work. I mean, might not look and it might not look great, as sharp but... and as good as, you know, a pro camera. Totally. But it's their memory. Yeah. Right? And it's totally. Their, it's their day they spent at XYZ spot. Right. They'll print it. Yeah. I'll print it for them. Yeah. <laughs> it's not what I like to do. Sure. Exactly. But I'll do it. Yeah. Well, so uh, winding down, um, who do you think would be interesting to have on the podcast? Um, I think Ryan Turner would be a good choice. Okay. Like, I feel like he and I almost live parallel lives. He lives in Big Sky, I live in Bozeman. We do almost the same stuff, photography-wise. He shoots a lot of skiing, and he goes in the park more because he's a little bit closer. Yeah. But So he's got some nice animal shots and stuff, and he's got a gallery up there. Cool. Um, he's definitely legit. Nice. And then another guy that I know, Keen Sperry. Okay. Would be interesting. He does a lot of wedding stuff in the summer, like huh. destination weddings. Okay. But he also does landscapes and ski stuff and, you know, other things. Yeah. Typical Montana stuff. Yeah. But he does a big business with destination weddings. So, like, people come to Montana and then he'll take them? Well, he, yeah, they come to Montana to get married, you know, rent a guest cabin or, yeah. you know, there's lots of wedding venues here. Sure. You know? And people come here to have the... Storybook Montana summer wedding in July and August, you know? Right. Tons of people come here, have families come from all over, you know? Sort of a vacation for everybody, I guess. Yeah, definitely. You know, they come from the cities or whatever, East Coast, yeah. California, whatever. That's cool. Yeah. So he makes good money doing those weddings because usually it's high-end people that are doing that. Yeah. You know? Like East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't fly your whole family to Montana if you're poor. Yeah. <laughs> to get this married. This is true. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he does well doing that. He'd be interesting to talk to, I think. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. This has been fun, and it's really cool to see uh, see your business here and all of your your prints and all of the framing material that you've got for the stretcher canvases. And yeah, thanks. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad you came by. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thanks to Travis for taking the time out of his incredibly busy schedule to join us on the show and for his awesome conversation. I really enjoyed our discussion and I hope everyone else did as well. If you did enjoy our discussion, please consider heading over to Patreon to hear Travis's crazy story about a grizzly or bear attack. I promise it's worth it. All right, well, I want to thank our newest patrons for the podcast. Thank you to Timothy Floyd. Drew Anderson, Tim Boone, Andy Fowley, and Wayne Suggs. And Wayne, I'm looking forward to our podcast next week. You guys are all awesome. Thanks for helping us get back up to the $1,000 a month mark. I really appreciate you. I also wanted to thank someone that has been really instrumental in referring guests to me. Thanks to Rajas Jodhis Warren for connecting me to some of our best guests. You are a good friend, and I owe you big time. All right. Well, I'd also like to give a real special, heartfelt thanks to the people that we like to call our Patreon podcast producers. These amazing people contribute at the $20 a month level and higher over on our Patreon page and really help keep the podcast running. Thanks to Michael Howard, Jack Curran, Eric Stenslin, Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, David Kingham, Anton Everine, Laurie Berenson, William Nurse, Ken Dono, Danny LeFrancois, James Bakavoy, Matthias at Photomagica, Richard Wong, Zachary Smith, Gary Randall, Frank Otto Peterson, and Michael Rung. Whew. 
Hopefully you guys aren't getting bored of hearing that. I, I just love reading those names. You guys are amazing. All right, well, let's talk about who's coming up on the podcast. I've been really working my ass off to get some guests on, and I'm excited to announce some of our upcoming guests and episodes. It should be a really good fall. First up, we have Wayne Suggs from New Mexico, and we're going to be talking all about his efforts to work with the Department of Interior on protecting some of New Mexico's most awesome places. Next, we have Christian Hebe, a Swiss photographer living in the United States. We have Alistair Ben from Scotland coming onto the show, which I think will be really fun. We also have Tim Parkin from On Landscape Magazine making an appearance. I'm really looking forward to that one. And we have Franka Gabler, a photographer from Croatia living in California. I'm also working on several other uh, guests and uh, some special episodes and group format, so it'll be a really good year. All right, well, lastly, I'm really excited to announce that we did reach our $1,000 a month goal a few weeks ago, and uh, I've been working hard behind the scenes to develop the criteria and infrastructure to give away $1,000 to a nominated photographer who exemplifies values of conservation through their work. Look for more announcements on that soon. All right, thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.